Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy, with special guests Panny Bogdanos and Andrew Dalgano. So everyone, welcome back to the podcast, and today we're going to be launching into our second helping of 80s-ness with a close look at 10 out of 10, which for me at least, Paul, is a step up from where we were, well, the previous year with Look Here. There's a, a slight smile on the face now, I sense, and, and certainly it's an album that I enjoy quite a bit more than the previous one. Yes, I agree with you. It's a... It... It's a much more satisfying album than Look Here. It's funny, you know, you know, when they sort of came out, I preferred Look Here. Yeah. And I, I didn't even buy Ten Out of Ten when it came out. Maybe same, same somebody, here. maybe somebody copied it for me on cassette or something. But I, I didn't connect with it at, at all at the time, and that's partly because I didn't like the first single, and we'll come on to that later. But now I think, yeah, it's a, it's a good album. It's a good album. You know, it's, it pales in comparison to. 10TC Mark One, particularly. How could it? How could it not? But you know, it's a decent record. For what it's worth, it's a better album, I think, than Ismism, which came out in the same year. Mm. I think. Mm. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I uh, I prefer Ismism. Uh, okay. Well, at least the, the three strong tracks on Ismism, the singles, actually, in my opinion, yeah. uh, are better than anything on on this record, in my opinion. <laughs> It's a it's a nice album full of full of songs that make me smile. Starting starting with the sleeve, actually, I think it's yeah. a fantastic album sleeve. I don't know whether it was a hypnosis album sleeve, but they they also did the sleeve for for look here, which just in common with the, that previous album was terrible. But this one presumably <laughs> is the No Tell Hotel on the 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 front of um, the sleeve. It really makes me laugh. It's very clever. Um, I think it was a very odd song they chose to start start the album with, getting off in a very downbeat mode. Graham's still in his in his, in his look here <laughs> face with "Don't Ask." True, but, and but, but, but it's a very well. it's a very punchy starting track, though, isn't it? It's just it's just not a. I, I would always start an album with one of my with one of my best songs. I'd, I, I, in this case, I'd have started with No Tell Hotel, a lovely sort of slow, gentle introduction to it, and then a song that you know fits in with the sleeve and, and, and really makes you smile, and it's just a very good song melodiously. really interesting point because I think Don't Ask is, is way more preferable to an hotel hotel but I love your angle Andrew that that hotel on the cover is the Notel hotel which makes complete sense I've never even thought of that before yeah um, and I, I love this sleeve as well it kind of harks back to How Dare You doesn't it yes I, you know I find this to be a pleasant album I mean you know the US issue and the UK issue and I've always loved the, the cover art as well. Uh, it's kind of an interesting angle of the hotel. It's kind of like, you know, you have Eric and Graham perched on the ledge and that little pigeon that's there next to Graham. <laughs> that always, One looking always... scared as shit and the other looking really, yeah. really happy and calm and relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, I, is Eric sitting in the pigeon shit, you know? Um, 
and then you have this, you know, kind of cross cutout of the inside of the hotel to the side. You know, it's a, you know, an interesting point of view. You know, of trying to show the outside and the inside at the at the same time. As far as you know, what you mentioned about "Don't Ask," uh, Andrew. Uh, wow, I, I I tend to agree with Sean. I, I think it's a, a better tune. I think it's a, a great you know album opener. Uh, it does have that uh, self pity, self isolation thing again, which we've discussed uh, before on uh, the Look Here album on those other tracks. But you know, I, I think uh, it, it just has a good feel. Um, I find that. Graham is, you know, it's one of Graham's stronger tunes that, that he's written. I think it's just a Graham Goldman tune. Um, I don't think he wrote it with Eric. But again, um, yeah, I think the thing that, that I like, uh, or I don't like, I should say, again, it, it kind of, you know, mixes that pop and reggae feel again. Mm. It, it kind of comes in, you know, it's kind of an undertone of the song. Uh, I, I think the, the middle eight is pretty subtle and okay. But uh, again, uh, I, I think overall it sounds like, you know, more of, you know, it sounds like the old Tennessee much more now that it's pretty much Graham and Eric with uh, other musicians uh, filling in, you know, the uh, things that they need as opposed to the band. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. They, they stopped being a group at this point and become a duo. The, the previous yeah. album that actually called themselves the group on the on the back cover, but it was very mm. clear that the other guys now were just being brought in on an ad hoc basis as yeah. session musicians. But it didn't stop them them writing writing solo songs. So Goldman's Don't Ask and Lying Here With You, which was a fantastic song. I'm sure we'll come on to that later. Yeah. And then Eric wrote Don't Turn Me Away and Le Nouveau Riche. How do you pronounce that? Le Nouveau Riche. <laughs> Le Nouveau Riche. That's yeah. right. Well, you're both close. You're both close. <laughs> <laughs> From the off, you've got two very Grammy songs, both sung by Graham, which is unusual f- for these later albums. They're, mm. they're kind of dominated by, by Eric vocals in the main. But here, it, it, they're putting the left foot forward uh, and suddenly it feels like it might be more of a Graham record and that there's a, a definite sense that Graham is is approaching the project with a bit of vigour and enthusiasm I would argue uh, and it seems that he is in many ways the dominant partner here would you agree? I would uh, going back to that wonderful resource the, the Strawberry um, tape archive and all the labels of the tapes that we have several hundred pages of yeah. now in our possession a lot of this was recorded separately uh, or i should say a lot of it was recorded by graham with eric not involved in quite a few tracks i don't know exactly how many but um there's a lot of entries in the strawberry diary for late 1980 of like graham album tracks yeah produced by graham this that, and the other so i can only imagine that he dominates because of the fact that Eric wasn't on quite a lot of it. Mm. Um, in the first two tracks, yeah, um, or the opening track, Don't Ask, is a, is a case in point. I don't hear Eric on that at all. I could be wrong. Do you, do you hear him? Uh, well, he, he is on there uh, in is he? Pl- playing okay. synth. He plays the second guitar solo and he does some, some BVs. Tell me what's in- 
I'm with you in that it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's there in the yeah. sa- in the same way that on on some tracks, particularly it, it, to my ears, on the next album, Windows in the Jungle, there are some tracks mm. on there that don't uh, appear to have Graham on there, or at least sure. the spirit of Graham isn't on them. And and I'm with you that on on this one, don't ask the spirit of Eric doesn't seem to be there either. Yeah. It's a good, good track. Good. I, I quite, I quite like it. It's one of my favourites on the on the record. Actually, I like the fact that it's, it's in multiple sections. Hmm. Yeah, it's a classic uh, Goldman construction, isn't it? Which is, which I like. Yeah, exactly. Um, with the with the riff that that starts and ends the track, and and you know the, yeah, those classic course. ingredients. Uh, di- another divorce song. So quite a bleak lyric but a bit of a toe tapper yes that's it and, and of course he, he uses the phrase i sleep alone yet again as well yes as yeah which he which crops up in look here and and before as you as you were saying yeah that's right and and of course inevitable reggae influence <laughs> yeah. which drives me crazy i think it's just sort of been subsumed into their into their set of influences it doesn't bother me too much do you think it's inauthentic or you just don't like the way they employ it or what Uh, many things it's it's very very plastic reggae some of the the sounds are are, are kind of too pristine and studio-y and plastic sounding it doesn't sound authentic and Mm. it happens too often for my liking Right, right. It's simple as that, really. Uh, although I think with this one, don't ask. I think it's quite a spirited performance, and uh, the band sound sound punchy. Uh, you've got um, a, a bigger band on this track than on some of the others. Uh, you've got, right. a, in addition to, to Eric and Graham, you've got Paul playing drums, Rick's doing uh, the first lead guitar solo, and you've got right. Mark, Mark Jordan this time on keyboards, and of right. course Vic Emerson is there as well. Yes, again, he play, playing for the synth. first time. Has Duncan? You, you, I haven't got the credit. So, is, is Duncan Mackay gone by this stage, or is he still in the band? You know, um, I don't think he's. I don't think he turns up on any of the tracks, Paul. To be honest, right? I'm just okay. look, I'm looking yeah. through the lyric sheet here. No, his, his name's not on there uh, at all. And it, right, it's, so it's, it's a kind of straight swap, Vic Emerson for for Duncan at uh, that point, really. Yeah, Vic Emerson has also Mark Jordan features. Yeah on a couple of tracks he's also on uh action man in motown suit which we'll come on to later which i uh i, I actually enjoy uh but, but but we'll talk about that anon but uh, some of the tracks go back to the three-man deceptive ben's lineup don't they with with just eric and graham being mm. joined by paul on drums well i think um i don't know what the situation was with like contracts and stuff with the other four members around the time of bloody tourists but certainly promotion wise and visual you know visual wise they went back to two-man 10cc at this time didn't they yeah you know during bloody tourists and look here the band was promoted as a six-piece mm. and now the you know the only people on the cover of the uh album uh eric and graham and and you know publicity material as i was saying around that time just shows those two whether that was an actual change contractual-wise or not, I don't know. Yeah, but. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know, actually, whether you know the other four members were, were ever official members of 10CC. That's a really good question. I would suspect not, yeah. because often if a band expands and contracts, unless it's right at the beginning, 
um, normally those members won't be made full partners. But you know, maybe maybe they were. Yeah, we th- we think back to Bruce Johnston, don't we? Um, as a you know, he's he's been in the Beach Boys more than more than Brian has, uh, but he yeah. was he was only contractually a member uh, very very late in the day. So yeah, I I think I'm with you. I, I suspect that that 10CC was always the two of them. Um, yeah, from seventy six onwards. Often, it's often more trouble if you are because off topic a little bit but the eagles um uh joe walsh and tim tim schmidt were never members of the eagles and they never have been they're on a salary and they always they always were good grief i didn't Um, know that yeah whereas um don felder was uh um a full shareholder in the band and Mm. that's why um he kind of got that when they when uh, Henley Frey Axis kind of ousted him, yeah. he he took him to court, etc. So it, it's somehow it can be a bit easier, I think, if you're just a hired hand. To the public, you may look like a full band member, but the contracts often don't stipulate that. Right, right. Interesting. Um, going back to you mentioned the the cover earlier yeah. on, and I, I really like the cover here. I like the fact that it's it's kind of telling a story and it's a bit quirky. You know, it's a hark back in a way to the "How Dare You" cover. In it's kind yes. of it's capturing like a, it. a moment of of crisis, isn't it? Yeah, I like, that's yeah, right. It's just, yes, a very kind of elevated snapshot or something. Uh, literally, in the case of ten out of ten, because <laughs> they're on the on a on a on a very narrow balcony, aren't they? Or a window ledge, I should say. That's right. Eric nonchalantly reading the paper, and Graham looking down. A terrified yeah. of, of, of falling, or maybe he's just—he's about to jump, having re-listened to to look here. <laughs> I don't—I I, don't—I don't know. <laughs> Again, a combination on this record of of some joint compositions, aren't there, and some some solo ones. The album kicks off with a solo Goldman composition yeah. and then you get another Grammy song coming uh which is a, a collaboration between the two of them overdraft mm-hmm. in in overdrive yeah uh, that's which, a bit silly it is it is and it has the I'm, I'm not sure if i'm barking up the right tree here but uh, <laughs> sorry leave that in, leave that in. <laughs> yeah oh yes i didn't even think uh, <laughs> thank you doddy you are you are helping us you know superbly I was saying to Paul the other day that there begins to to be an an Eric Stewart thing, and he talks about this in his book. He he talks proudly about grabbing hold of a, a nifty phrase, and yeah. and that it it inspires him to write a song. Um, and if we look at Overdraft in Overdrive, No Tell Hotel, later Americana Panorama. These seem to be examples of the, exactly that sort of thing where, where, where Eric's either invented or found a phrase that he thinks is, is really cool and interesting and then uses that as the premise to write a whole song. And, and for me, they're really limp and lame. It, it just doesn't seem to have that, that, that same, the same inspiration and genius as, say, I'm Mandy Flymy or 
uh, second sitting for the last summer. Do you see what it's a supper rather? Do you see what I mean? That they seem to be very, very dodgy premises to write a song. Uh, I certainly agree. There's a sort of throwaway lyrically feel to to the album. They're, they're not they're not serious yeah. serious songs. It doesn't unduly worry me. But by the same token, you've been in your last po- podcast just been talking about how fantastic the lyrics of Graham Goldman's early songs are that yeah. he wrote with his father, and, and they certainly do add. That you can't possibly deny how much great lyrics add to a song. Oh, but I still find course. these quite funny. I, I, it doesn't worry me about them. Yeah, and, and let me add to that too. Uh, I haven't read Eric's uh, autobiography, okay. Uh, but that's an interesting point that he was looking for phrases that he liked, and then trying to write a song around it. Yeah, I mean that—that that to me is a songwriter who's maybe out of ideas, or you know, mm. trying to find something to to stimulate him, to you know, to inspire him to come up with something. And and again. I think I agree with you, Sean. It does fall a bit short at times. And at the same time, if you really analyze the lyrics and really look at it, it's kind of interesting to see what Eric has come up with. You know, I I think people find inspiration in a lot of different places. And if Eric was at that point where he needed to find some catchy phrase, well, you know, maybe maybe the well of uh, song ideas had dried up. Yeah, such a valid point. I'm afraid to say that I kind of share your feelings there. You need an angel to survive an overdraft and overdrive. Well, it's, it's, it's achieved its objective for you in being just over three minutes long. I think it's a nice song, actually. <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good song. What do you think, Sean? Apart from the annoying Calypso intro, you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a catchy melody. That's all I can say about it. Um, I've got a, I've given it a kind of a five out of ten. It's it's all faint praise from me on, on that one, Andrew. It just yeah. I can't picture it in my mind. Um, Paul and I were talking about it, and we we can't summon it up in our heads. We can't remember how it goes. We can't remember the tune. We can't remember the chorus. Is that us? Is that me having failed listening to this album ten times in the last three months? To kind of maybe they have needed it. to make it six minutes long rather than three minutes long, and then, then yeah, it would, it would have, have gone in then, wouldn't then it? Would have got to... <laughs> no, honestly, I'd have, I'd have stuck a fucking knife through its chest after six minutes. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Both Eric and Graham have two solo compositions on the record, um, right. We'll come on to Eric's in a minute, but Graham's other uh, solo composition on this one is that lovely song, Lying Here With You. Yeah, a lot of attention is paid to this song. that They, they featured it strongly in their live sets. Uh, in fact, a little aside here, when I went to see them in 1983 at the Hitchin Regal, um, wow. which actually that was almost, that was quite a long time after the... Um, this album came out but i think it was bef- no windows in the jungle had come out because i remember them playing feel the love actually but they were still featuring this song and i remember hearing this while we were waiting in line outside while they were sound checking um which was you know was a thrill but it was also interesting that they really wanted to get this song right I yes um it's yeah it's a good song um unfortunately I think the middle eight, which I think is the best part of this song, reminds me of 
Never My Love by The Association. Do you know that song? Uh, vaguely, and, and we'll play a little snippet of it, Paul. What makes you think love will end When you know that my whole life depends Too much of something tends to spoil you, so they say But I can't get enough of you I'll tell you something, I never listen to what they say I only know what I must do Yes, it's one of those things, once you hear something and you think it sounds like something else, it, mm. it colours it forever. And yeah, you can't depends. shake it, can you? You can't shake it, it depends which you hear first. I mean, I was lucky to hear Donna before I heard Oh Darling, so I associate mm. those cluster of notes w- with the former rather than the latter. Yeah, it, I, think, the other I, way think, around, I think I'm you with know. you there, yeah, yeah, I think it was the same for me. Right. Um, but um, it is it's a nice song. They must have thought a lot of it because... Graham gave it to Eric to sing, yep. clearly the better the better singer. So they they were. It, it, it's close to being a standard, but it doesn't quite cut it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's not quite as good as as the ten cc groups give you the impression of. I mean, it's a it's a frequent visitor um, with YouTube clips, isn't it? On the on the fan groups, the Eric and yeah. Graham one, the ten cc groups. Um, and I, I, I do like it. I think it's a lovely vocal. I think it's a nice melody. All our cares will drift away. Leave them all until another day. I don't really mind as long as I can find that I'm lying there with you. Andrew, you, you seem to really like that one. I, I do. I think it's a... A really lovely song, and I think what's so nice about it, even though it was a it was a Graham composition, is that he allowed Eric to, to be the lead singer for it, and Eric delivered a a vocal which was really magnificent. I mean, he's yeah. got such a fantastic amount of tone in his voice yeah, and, yeah. and uh, a huge range, and he, he sang that so beautifully. It really is a a lovely ballad, and to me, just incredible that they. I don't think they released it as a single in the UK, and and they didn't even it didn't even make the cut for the the US version of the album. But it's a lovely song. Yeah, and yeah, that, like that's an extraordinary thing, Panny. I mean, we we yeah. really want to hear you talk about the the American release because everything we know about it seems to defy belief. Well, you know, when again when a new album came out, you know, I mean, thinking back to 1982 when uh, the US version came out, again. Uh, you're not thinking, gee, is there a UK version that's different? I, you know, I had no idea that there was a different album in the UK till almost a year later when another friend uh, of mine and my brothers came over to the house and we had the album on. And he said, "Wait a second, you know, this is different from the album I have." He had an import of it, and I didn't actually hear the import till uh, probably about 1984, 85. Uh, while I was traveling in Europe, I found a copy of it in uh, Sweden, I think, mm. and bought it and sent it home. My brother then recorded it for me and sent it back to uh, an address that I hadn't been to yet. You know, I picked, I got to my other friend's house, and there's a package for me a few weeks later. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think about the songs. I, I think about what they added to uh, 10 out of 10 in the U.S., Tell us about the sorry. Tell us about the the exact changes from the UK version. What I'd read, Panny, was that for the US version, what they did was simply, literally hack off 
the last four tracks of the album, yeah. i.e. in reverse order, Survivor, Lying Here With You, Listen With Your Eyes, and Action Man in Motown Suit, and then replace them with the Andrew Gold numbers? Is that what they did? Right, exactly. The three uh, A-sides. And I think those A-sides, you know, a couple of them are better tunes. I mean, I don't like Listen With Your Eyes uh, too much. No. Uh, Survivor's okay. I think it's a bit long. It kind of goes on a little bit long. But uh, to remove uh, Lying Here With You and not have that on the U.S. release. Mama, don't In the final analysis, they don't really add much. Um, I, I, I mean, the most significant fact is that uh, is that Eric and particularly Graham was was working with Andrew, and and that was great in that mm. that they there was a start of a very uh, happy partnership for them, and they they made some great records after. Definitely, and wrote lots of great songs after. I think these early songs, I suppose, Power of Love is is the pick of the bunch but i'm not i'm not overly keen on it really mm. um and we've heard it all before is a sort of unconvincing trip to get back to the old 10cc but but that door kind of wedged shut i, I think you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't sound like their hearts really in it um and run away i'm not keen on at all so sorry <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny uh, I, I'm not a particular fan of these extra tracks, which disappoints me because well, you and I both love Andrew Gold. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know from from the off, you know from his from his seventies albums and, and the Wax material and, and everything. But, oh yeah. yeah. But these ones don't really do it for me. But I, I think I like them in a different way round to you. Uh, okay. I I don't mind Runaway. It's pleasant and the block harmonies are really nice. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's I think a deliberate nod to I'm Not in Love. But it kind of yes. it kind of works as a, as a song, I think. Um, mm. But I, I don't like T Tomorrow's World Today or, or Power of Love. You know, the, the instrumentation on that one is interesting. I, mm. I, I dislike the reggae feel, obviously. But the the mm. Indian sounding riff is is an interesting choice. Tomorrow's World Today is, is kind of similar lyrically in many ways to we've heard it all before in that it's kind of lamenting the way technology is kind of moving away from them um, and I suppose making them feel like, like dinosaurs. But it's, it's Actually, I'd, sorry to interrupt. I'd for, yeah, I'd forgotten that one. I, I do like that one. It, it doesn't really work on the album. It would have made a good B-side, which sounds yeah. like I'm damning it with faint praise. It's got the Goldman twist at the end lyrically i assume he did this like twisting into a happy ending yes. where at the very end he kind of extols the virtues of technology what we what it does give us which yeah. i quite like yeah yeah um uh, but the the r and the r and b treatment just doesn't work for it i'll tell you something you already know we came a long way from the radio but what's wrong with that Yes, maybe. Or maybe, maybe saying, you know, I am a dinosaur, 
Um, hence, you know, my old-fashioned treatment. It's all, it's a, you know, it's an okay track. I just don't think it fits with the rest of the tracks on the album, really. that both those tunes we've heard it all before and tomorrow world today I, I get them you know I kind of inter- they're, they're kind of the same to me I find them to be almost the same tune there certainly is the similar lyric can't they you hear me going back and forth I'm meeting you know that uh, tomorrow's world today which you know is not is not that great of a tune I've always thought it was just you know it, it does have the tendency feel and, you know, I, I do like the one lyric, Blue Suede Shoes and Howard Hughes, which kind of al- almost harkens back to the worst band in the world, you know, mentioning Howard Hughes again. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I, it's a direct steal from Genesis's Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, actually. But but hey-ho, yeah. that's, that's for another podcast, I, I think. I think um, of the ones that... So added to the US release, I think The Power of Love is a pretty good song. Um, goes with an, another very strange and not particularly wonderful video, but uh, it was quite an engaging song. And then we finished with Runaway, which actually did give 10cc a very, very minor hit. To me, I actually found that pretty insipid. song I was meaning to be referring to was we've heard it all before which is the one I really don't like but I don't <laughs> think it sounds like 10cc at all I, I just you know, Eric if it is Eric singing some of it it just doesn't sound like him at all <laughs> I also find it odd that you, you, they don't use Andrew Gold's voice at all. They've decided to bring him in to, to be part of the band. Yes. Why do we not hear anything from a very, very good singer? I think it's a bit uh, odd. Yeah, maybe he's. Maybe we do hear his voice shouting on that on that horrible chorus. It's really interesting, Andrew, that you say you, you don't think that that sounds like 10cc. I think this is one of the, the tracks in the whole of the 1980s output that does make an attempt to sound a bit like 10cc. I love the fact that it's doing a godly and cream thing of leaping from genre to genre uh, between verse and chorus. And uh, I, I was talking to Paul about my 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 love of it for that, the, the kind of attempt to be humorous. The fact that Eric's actually having some fun camping it up and singing you played the strings of my heart i really love that he, he's kind of revisiting the what he did on on silly love and that is really really good my love your face is a symphony you play the strings of my heart but there there's a real real downside and before i go into the downside i'd like one of you if, if possible, to say something positive about the song? Well, I'm happy to, Sean. Yeah. Uh, I think when I first heard it, I thought it was a good, clever tune. And over the years, uh, I think it's just kind of gone the other way. But when I first heard it, I loved the mono to stereo effect. Yeah. And I did like how, you know, you hear, you know, the, the strings of my heart, that little mm-hmm. section. Yeah. You know, done 
Jackson goes away, and then later on they deal with the techno backbeat. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty. I, I think in 1982, you know, when I first started, uh, I, I think it was you know a great track, and I think it was a strong track, and you know the idea that you know they could make fun of you know music becoming so manufactured. And, you know, and since then, it's actually reverted back to, you know, real instruments and stuff. Mm. And, and I think, you know, with everything that's on the radio nowadays, uh, all the auto-tune and stuff, uh, I think really nowadays compared to 1982, Mozart would really freak out at the crap <laughs> on the radio nowadays, you know, more so than, you know, back then. But, yep. you know, it's a clever song, but again... When you play something, I, I played this album again to death when it, you know, came out. I played it for about the next five years, you know, at least once or twice a month. Uh, but you know, when you put something away and then revisit it, you know, I had to play this album in probably five or six years. This is one of the tracks that, you know, it, it just doesn't stand up to the test of time too well for me nowadays. Even though I don't find it to be completely annoying. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And this is the, the track above all of the other kind of the new Andrew Gold ones that really stuck out for me because it was at last, it was like an attempt to add an injection of fun. But where I, where I fell out with it was that that whole premise that some, somehow there was something wrong with electro pop. go at, at sort of computer chips aren't they and songs that are, are programmed to get into the top five uh, with purely electronic instruments and as I was saying to Paul the other day that they're completely denigrating the, the, the genius of, of kind of Human League the, the sort of Heaven 17, Trevor Horn Yazoo type stuff and ultimately what I'm left with is this feeling of uh, you, you're just fucking dinosaurs um, no, no. Honestly, I'm not. I'm not sort of playing devil's advocate. It, it sounds like middle-aged men moaning, like like your dad moaning about what's on on the radio, and and it just it just really is an an, an embarrassing failure at satire. I do agree with that. I think, though, you know, even if it did make me laugh. I think it still has to, you know, a song has to be underpinned by a good melody. You look take someone like Randy Newman, who who writes wonderful satire. Yeah. To me, I wouldn't be a Randy Newman fan if the melodies weren't so gorgeous and wonderful. I, I just find the tune horrible. I find Eric's voice. I know they're trying to be fun. It's absolutely trying to recapture the the ten cc with Godly and Cream, but but it just it just. It just failed on in all aspects, <laughs> yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Let me let me add to that as well, uh, Sean. I, I do somewhat agree that the music industry had passed ten cc by, and here here are these great songwriters, you know, dealing with something that, you know, they, they weren't going to write an album, you know, a techno pop album, and and to, you know, make a joke about it might might have been the only thing that they were able to do because mm. you can maybe they were just trying to stay in. And continue to do the type of stuff that they were known for as opposed to changing with the times. 
and and you know, there's a lot to be said about you know where Ten CC was at the time. I mean, uh, if you look at Ten Out of Ten coming out in the UK, "Don't Turn Me Away" I think was the lead single, and that didn't do anything.、Mm. What a choice for lead single! What a terrible choice, or what a choice? Yeah, well, both. Both. Great track. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, it's just. I would, I would add the word terrible. Yeah, that's an Eric Stewart song. It's a very odd choice. Yeah, it's the bastard son of Mike and the Mechanics and Christopher Cross. Yeah, <laughs> in my humble opinion. <laughs> it's, it's certainly the weakest song on the on the album in in my perspective. The UK <laughs> yeah, release. Yeah,、maybe. I know. I don't like it. No, it's, it's boring. And for the second album running, and in my opinion, they'll do it for the third on the next album. They make a really bad choice as the lead single. I know Lenny Gorish was a single before, but I think、um, uh, this song came out at the same time as the album, and it was no, it's you know, boring. Eric sings as beautifully as ever. Yeah.、Um, I remember just a strange memory here.、Um, The NME, of course, which hated Tennessee by this time. There was a reviewer <laughs> called Suni, and I think, and she could be quite caustic. Yes. And she praised lying here with you, and she particularly, not lying here with you. Sorry, don't turn me away. And she, she particularly praised Eric's beautiful vocals. I think she, she termed it. I was、okay. so surprised. I was so surprised to hear an NME writer in 1981 say that.、Mm. Um, anyway.、Uh, Yeah, I don't like it. This has got a sax solo, hasn't it? This one. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why it feels Christopher Crossy to me. Yeah, the first first sax solo on a Ten CC record, I should think. Okay, it's it's the sax part isn't credited on the on the sleeve. It could be Mel Collins again, couldn't it? That's interesting to hear because I, I think、uh, I, I think it's a bit of a masterpiece. You know, I mean, again, Eric. Really? I, I mean, for some people, you know, Eric. Eric is, you know, I think he's just opening up a bit and expressing more of his opinion. I mean, he's actually saying in this song. I mean, without saying it, you know, he's actually saying to some extent, "I, I love you so much," you know. But you know, if you're not. Willing to accept my love, you know, I, you know I'm going to struggle with that, but I'll deal with it. As opposed to like I'm not in love, where he's kind of saying I'm not in love, even though you know he loves her just as much there too. Yeah, but you, you can, know, you're, you're comparing a, 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 a genius lyric premise with something、yeah. that's so totally bland, Panny. I, I, I admire what you're doing here, but I, I, I don't get the I don't get the comparison. Well, I, again, I, I think that it, it, I, I think it's one of the biggest problems with the songs that it's a bit too long. I, I just find it to be, and whether it's you know Eric kind of having a different outlook on things after his car accident about、mm. you know important stuff. I, I think it has some good hooks. It's a sweet ballad. Again, it gets back into that thing that I had mentioned、uh, at some point before about.、Uh, The song from "Look Here" doesn't matter at all. Yeah, you know the, the、uh, that the narrator has all the answers, and the woman has to kind of. I mean, that's that's the only problem I really have, you know, with it.、Uh, I think the、uh, middle eight of this is pretty good too. You know,、mm. one thing that I remember also reading about the song and and about 
some of the songs that Graham and Eric were writing, probably more so Eric, you know, there's a sense of, you know, uh, anger in these songs, kind of undercurrent of anger about, you know, some of the topics and, and some of the things that they're writing about. And even like if you look at uh, some of the songs, uh, even Le Nouveau Riche, whatever, however you pronounce Les, it. Les Nouveaux Riches. wasn't a hit because the DJs couldn't say the title uh, probably you know but I was gonna say you know it's it's almost like you know they're criti you know there's a lot of criticism in the song sometimes and I find that Eric seems to be criticizing other people that aren't on the same wa same wavelength that he is mm. maybe I'm wrong I, I think it's I think it's a great track what a terrible sight. Lily white turn into raspberry and I think the Nouveau Riche is really good. Um, it's significant because pretty sure it was the first track recorded for the album. In fact, uh. Eric Eric recorded it solo, or at least almost solo, and the single version. And he talks about recording recording it in his book at at home. I think he says that uh, um, it's almost got a demo-like quality about it. There's the, pretty sure Graham isn't on it because there's synth bass rather than real bass guitar. The single version, um, which was trailed the album, I think it came out in March 81, um, I won't say it was Eric Solo, but I'm pretty sure Graham isn't on it because, like I say, his, his bass vocals aren't there. There's no bass guitar, which is which is odd. Um, but it's a really it's a really good song. I think it's uh, it, it it's got a great momentum in the chorus. It's one of those choruses which kind of got you know really lifts you. I think it's um, I think it's a nifty song. Um, you know, didn't didn't chart unfortunately well, yeah. what do you think of I, I'll, have to, I'll have to beg to dif differ with you apart from oh, the okay. fact that it has you know more bleeding calypso uh, <laughs> just from the intro onwards I'm, I'm just annoyed uh, there's a, oh, really? a laboured okay. melody in my opinion um, and okay. I, I like there's some nice um, some really nice harmonies over the guitar solo uh, which I, I think sound brilliant <laughs> some of the lyrics and um, I mentioned these to Paul that there are, there are two in particular one one because it's it's just kind of un PC but a bit crap and the the other one because it's just a bit crap the first one is her interbreeding was was showing which I think is really odd when uh, she's she's by the pool and the other one is stiff upper lip it was trembling and I think that that's two examples of, of extremely poor lyric writing from Eric. It's a song where Eric seems to be critical of those things around him. You know, yeah. uh, he seems to be writing about rich people who are pretending to act rich and all the little quirks that come with it, you know, um, making fun of it. You know, he's making fun of them and, and the way that they're they're acting. I, mm -hmm. I just find, I find it like he's almost attacking, you know, the... Uh, You know, the woman character that he seems to be observing. Um, mm. 
I, I agree with you that they are, <laughs> they are undoubtedly poor lyrics. It's just whether you let that spoil your enjoyment of the song. To me, it's a, a quirky, almost kind of, I was going to call it a throwaway album, but that's the wrong word, because I, I like the album, but it's a, it's a not-to-be-taken-seriously song, so do the lyrics have to be perfect? No, better lyrics would make it better, but uh, it doesn't stop my enjoyment of the song at all. Andrew, I think you've told me that you prefer the single mix uh, to the album mix, right? No, actually, the other way around. I, I, I think there's yeah. an interesting contrast between the two. I, I believe yeah. Eric recorded the single mix on his own. And yes, then, that's right. Right. And then the bands were added to the album version. Yeah, I find I find the single mix to be a little bit tighter but it has like that grumbly keyboard and the overdone steel drum effect. I mean, it's too busy as a single. Mm. I think the album version is much fuller and it seems to kind of uh, get, get, you know, take away some of the mess that's going on in the background. Yeah, it still doesn't rescue it for me. It's just, for me, it's kind of lame, limp, fake Calypso, badly written tosh. Anyway, we move on. <laughs> uh, now, go on, go on, Panny, go on, Panny. One last thing about it, I, I think, you know, Eric, again, was trying to formulate, you know, a song that's similar to Dreadlock Holiday. Yeah. You know, with that same kind of tropical Jamaican feel. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the album version is more or less, you know, that way than the single version, but... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate that you like the song, Andrew, but I don't know. It, it's not. It, it. I find it to just. After a while, I have to just hit the, you know, the skip button after getting about half through it. Mm, mm. I'm, yeah. I'm with you, Panny. Yeah, I don't mind. The, I don't mind the lyric. I mean, it, I picture it as. Um, you know, European woman going on holiday abroad and, and and never got her feet wet. You know, she she maybe yeah. was going looking for a holiday affair, but didn't commit to it or something like that. I think, but you know, it's the it's the 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 writer is observing all this. I think it's a harmless lyric and which tells a tells a story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's one. I guess if you don't, if guess if you don't get on board with the chorus, which I really do. If yes. you don't like that, then you're not going to like the song, I suppose. Yeah, it sounds and, like you're... and I'm in that school. It doesn't, uh, yeah, yeah, not even the chorus rescues it f- for me. Okay. Um, you know, in my humble opinion, again. Uh, there's another ingredient that, that kind of, that's a, a bit cloying and, and unpleasant for me. And it's, uh, I think, uh, my, my least favourite sound in the universe is, is the DX7, the Yamaha DX7. A synth, oh, where's the, where uh, does that appear then? Well, uh, it, it's a synth that... that took over the world from the early 80s to yeah. the end of the 80s and it, it sounds to me like Eric's using a keyboard a bit like that uh, to, right. to kind of emulate steel drum sounds and and the, right. D, the DX7 had a, a particularly nasty kind of clonkiness um, and uh, kind of a, a shrill sound and, and that's part of the reason why this song tastes a bit sour in my mouth yeah, you've. Yeah, I remember the DX7. It's all coming back to me now, and that I can almost hear those sounds in my head. But yes. I wonder. At the time, that was probably cutting-edge synth, wasn't it? Oh, it really was. Every literally everyone and their auntie uh, were, were were buying it at, at great right. cost and 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 replacing all their other synths with it. 
which right. which gives the eighties part of its um, abrasive and quite annoying sounds. When yes. we we listen back to eighties stuff with with our noses in the air, don't we? In in a sniffy way, and it's a shame yeah. because the production often belies some wonderful songwriting. Yes, uh, you listen to to Wax, for example. Some great songs there, some really catchy, hooky choruses, but it sounds so dated because the the production has been uh, taken over with the, with the modern idiom, you know, of, of drum machines and and sampled snare sounds and and plinky plonky DX sevens, and it's a shame yeah, that, they're they're kind of buried underneath some really horrible production decisions. Yeah, you wish Graham and Andrew had got together in either the 1970s or the 1990s. They would have avoided yeah. that, and and they would have avoided the mullets as well, which was <laughs> they, were, they were pretty bad. But we'll yes. talk about wax another time. We will. We will indeed. And I I sense that I'm I'm probably on my own in liking Action Man in Motown suit. Discuss. <laughs> I don't have very much to add. I, I, I quite like it. It's not one of my favourites. Yeah, I can't I, really enunciate why. Well, for me, it's, it's there's a nice Graham lead vocal, and he doesn't always nail a, a lead vocal. And I think it's it's one of the best melodies on the album. I like the, uh, I like the punchy chorus. It reminds me of the Monkeys' Stepping Stone, uh, and the guitar sound. Uh, again, that kind of harmonised guitar thing harks back to 1973 so there's there's kind of a, a hint of classic 10 cc or, or shall i say plastic 1973 10 cc well you know i kind of agree with what you were saying i i think it's it's a song that kind of gets overlooked because it's so far down in the album mm. and of course it was like, it was excised from the U.S. version, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I never really understood what the song was about until I did a little research about it. And I mean, it's a, you know, if you really look at what the lyrics are saying, I, I think it's talking about someone who's bewildered about the life they've created for themselves, mm. and they're trying to trying to make it better or more worthwhile. And you know, I think there's a line in it, something about comfort for the soul. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting line because, you know, I think we always, I think as human beings and people with different personalities, we always try to find some comfort for ourselves and yeah. anything that we and, and I think, uh, what's the line in it? Um, you can't be a drummer without rhythm. You can't believe <laughs> if you're not blue. I mean, that kind of taps into that emotional thing of, you know, trying to find find your niche. You know where you where you're going and where things are going. Uh, I think we try to find different roles because I think we try to think we're something different, or we try to think that we're something different from the way that people interpret us. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. I, I think I think one thing that's great about the song is the contrast between the parts that Eric sings and the parts that Graham sings. Yeah. I think that's you know in that respect it's a great song and it works pretty well um, and I think I think it was a B side of the power of love I think it's, it actually came out as the B side almost certainly they would have used those last four ditched UK songs as as B sides for the US releases and they did and they did the same in the UK in the end for some of the singles they they released towards towards the end mm. right 
I, I think it's I think it's one of those cracks that you know once I got the UK version of the album uh, and, and heard the other tracks that weren't on the American version of the album uh, I think it's one of the tracks that I played quite a bit and I think a nice Graham vocal as well yeah, yeah, he does sing good on that. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really good track. Yeah, is he the the action man in in a Motown suit? Is it? Is I guess it, is it about him post divorce clubbing? Uh, is it? Uh, yeah, sort of going out on the town and yeah, and um, being back on the singles market again. Yeah. possibly. I mean, uh, without wanting to read too much into it, maybe it's about that. I don't know. Yeah, and he says you can't be a lover without rhythm. Um, he's kind of almost resurrecting his sacroiliac persona isn't yeah. he the, you know at least he had a, an excuse back then because he had a bad back <laughs> remind me paul was memories a single uh that's a, i well it should have been uh because i think it's the best track on the record mm, uh discuss was it a single yeah, we, I think it was a single in some markets. I'm not sure whether it was a single in the UK. Uh, and it was kind of remixed and it was a single in the US, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. I think it's a, a brilliant song. By far the best song on the record, I think. But e- I, even I feel even the chorus? S- yeah, I love the chorus. But you mean the, the memories? Yeah. I love that. I think it's a gorgeous. And the thing I really like about that is it's pretty sure that's a two-part harmony yeah eric and graham singing together and they, that's really nice to hear and they didn't do enough of that no you're um, right they tend to harmonize with themselves don't they yeah and again that maybe is a throwback to the fact they weren't that close or something you know musically they you know they didn't feel that the kinship to do that but when they they do harmonize beautifully yeah it's a terrific song it tells about again it's rings true somehow because eric uh in the george tremlett biography in 1976 talks about how he was a friend with justin hayward as as you know from a long time back Mm -hmm. and he saw the lyrics of nights in white satin before the song had been you know, recorded in Justin's flat or something. Yes, and and so that that you know that song's mentioned in 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 the track. That's right, and that's probably a memory of that. And I guess he's talking about Gloria and their ongoing, you know, marriage and love. Yeah, and, and um, you know, you can call it cheesy, but I think it's I think it's a terrific song. Oh, I wondered about the nights in white satin line. Uh, until, yeah, until you said that's... that, I just I was annoyed by it because it just felt like a <laughs> it, it borrowed a cliche sort of thing right uh, or, or created no, a cliche out a of personal. a classic you know we dream in the night of mythical days and nights in white satin but when the child wakes I think it has a personal resonance and okay. that, that's why it rings true alright brilliant I won't mention I promise not to mention the C word Paul and by that I mean Calypso uh, again oh thank goodness uh, again right okay but yeah. I quite like the ending, the, the coda where they sing Photograph, Holidays. Uh, yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of the, the fade of Survivor, which is actually, I think, gun to my head, my favourite track on the album. It, it, okay. it, it's, it's got a very Grahamy sort of, um, you know, 
two chords changing over a, a solid bass drone, which is, is really effective. So yeah, I like the ending of this. know that Paul's a bit mad, but, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm kidding, Paul, really, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I like, I, I like the U.S. version a little bit better. I like that it's a little bit tighter. I like that it has a little intri- uh, intro in the beginning with the uh, heartbeat, yeah. and then a kind of a keyboard that fades into that first piano note, the English version. The UK version starts with that first uh, piano note. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a dirge at, at sometimes, but uh, again, uh, you know, when you have a line, I think it says, uh, "Memories they linger with you, but you soon forget that we started in innocence." Yeah, I mean, again, it, it gets a little bit like, "Oh, come on," you know. I mean, whenever you get nostalgic about something and you try to find a cliche to. Or <laughs> Or a line. I mean, that sounds so cliche to me. Ooh, we started in it. We were so, you know, young. Uh, Panny, uh, you and I are singing from the same the same hymn sheet here. Uh, it, it, yeah. it, it feels so cliche here. Paul really, really loves the the, the melody and and the whole the, the kind of ethos of the song. Andrew, are, are you going to be in the Paul camp or the Panny camp here? I'm afraid I'll be in the middle camp. It's unmemorable <laughs> memory to me. That's not, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but are you in the Sean camp with Survivor? Because well, that, what is the Sean camp? Well, that is, that is my favourite track on the album. Well, I think it's a very it's a great track to end the album. Right. It's the perfect track to end the album, in fact. And I think I do like very much that it's got two completely different bits to it. I love how it, after two and a half minutes, it breaks out into what's almost a completely different song and then yet yeah. rejoins the original tempo of it almost seamlessly. So it's nice. I think it's a little bit long. It's about five and a half minutes, yeah. almost, almost six minutes, but it's certainly a good song. This boy, he's a midnight driver, high roller and a soul survivor. She tried to send him on his way. He said, It's the 80s, so things are kind of creeping longer and longer. Eric, Eric did tend to, I think, Eric did tend, with Tennessee a bit, and even on his solo albums even more, to yeah. to really fade out things just on and on and on and on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there, there's some songs that yeah, just, that they, the Beatles, they never end, do they? No, exactly. And, you know, I suppose the, you know, the Beatles could write a fantastic three-minute song and it was perfect, wasn't it? So they don't need to drag on, do they? Well, they could do it in the, in the early 60s. They could do it all under two minutes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, well, isn't it, Panny? I mean, that's, that's so true, isn't it? And yet, I... here, so many of these tracks on, on these 80s albums go over the five-minute mark. And I, yeah. I, 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 I'm, honestly, I'm there dangling from a fucking rope. Uh, wanting them to end. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I really, really do. And I'm, I'm praying for something to, to come in under three minutes. <laughs> uh, let me say this about this song. I, I, I think, as Andrew says, you know, musically, 
you know, it, it has, you know, the intro section that goes into the other section that comes back. I think that works pretty well in this song. Uh, at about, uh, I don't know, two or two and a half minutes into the song, it, it almost seems to be ripping off the Reds of My Beds yeah. from Bloody Tour. Yeah, yeah, That's, I'm with you. Little, you know, it sounds the same musically. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at these lyrics on this song and, I, I'm not really able to make heads or tails. I get the impression that it's, you know, a stalker observing a woman and he's waiting for them to either fail or not succeed or something. And he's either going to destroy them or he's going to leave the situation. It's mm. not entirely clear. I I mean, I'm not sure what the song is about. Uh, maybe I just need to read the lyrics a little bit uh more with a, an open mind. I think I was kind of rushed when I went through them. Yeah, I, I must admit, the, the, the lyrics have, have always gone in one ear, one ear and out the other with me. For me, the, the melody and the chords, the arrangement and yeah. the structure kind of make it interesting. Um, yeah. Whereas, the, the, yeah, the lyrics just do seem a little bit bland. But I, I do think that structurally it's the most interesting thing on the album. I'm going away We have some lovely Graham Goldman chord touches on it, particularly in that last section as it fades out. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like I said, musically, I think there's some nice stuff. Graham sings it nicely as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I think just before it goes into the listen, I know what she's like. Uh, she's just a dream or whatever that little section is. I think just before that, it, it goes into a bit of a slide guitar bit. I would assume is Eric playing. I. I'm not 100% sure. Well, Eric plays the second lead guitar on, on this yeah. one, so he's he's not on it much. It's one, of, one yeah. of these kind of mostly Graham solo pieces, really. This was recorded long before Andrew Gold came into the picture. Yes. But it seems to be similar to the st type of stuff that, you know, uh, Graham and Andrew would, you know, write later on in Wax. It's my probably my second favorite part okay. of memories and actually i've got into it more recently i sort of dismissed it but having listened to the album recently that's the one which really stood out yes um that again have you got the uh, the credits there is eric on it eric's just on it he, he literally yeah. just plays the second lead guitar you see yeah that probably added later it sounds like one of those tracks that graham recorded with the other guys on his own one one reason i think that is that the the lead vocal is a bit pitchy it, it's it's imperfect but i like it because it's quite it's it's got a lot of heart in it yes girls on the road to nowhere she wouldn't say but another day there it's not the role she's decided to play um and i wonder whether that would have been produced out if, if you know what i mean if, if somebody had been working with him if mm. eric had been there he might have said oh, maybe you could do that again but i like yeah, the way good he point good, but I, I do too i think it's a really nice melody um yeah and um carefully constructed there's the the trademark goldman uh, thoughtful guitar riff uh, which i like i think the harmonies yeah. the harmonies over the verse are really lovely um yes. but I, the vocal is 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 weakish from where I sit, but I like it because I think you've nailed it. It's very kind of personal and real. 
Yeah, that's that's, or maybe it was a first take or something. I, he, yeah. he sort of captured something with that vocal, and he smooths it out with a bit of self-harmonizing. You know, in, in, a, in, in I'm thinking mainly of the Reds in My Bed middle section. Yes. Um, which, yeah, okay, it sounds a bit like Reds in My Bed, but uh, I've got another sort of. Uh, one of the reasons I don't enjoy this track as much as I would, I'm afraid I see another connection with uh, Paul McCartney's Tomorrow. Do you know uh, that track? Yeah, yes. Listen, I know what she's like, she's just a dreamer. I've never Which, thought of that before, but you're right. That middle section is a very close, uh, is very close to that. Um, Do you mean the bit that 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 lovely moment when it kind of does a hard cut into something a little yes. bit more? Yes. Oh, yeah. Baby, don't you let me down tomorrow. I'm mangling the two here, but in my head, but that that, that that's not surprising, I think, because they are oh, close. You're right. But I do like. Um, I really like that 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 sharp cut into a very different feel. It reminds you of the kind of things that, that, that Kevin Lowell were doing all the time. Early on in my listening career with, with 10 Out of 10, which began literally in 2019, um, when, I, when I heard it for the first time, I thought, oh, at last, you know, we've got a, yeah. a, a, a kind of a, a moment of excitement that's going to raise my pulse a little bit. Um, yeah. but, but I also think that the, the end section on this is, is, is very lovely. The chords are, are gorgeous. Very straight, yeah. simple, but... That lovely, satisfying Graham suspended chord kind of feel, uh, which is yeah. is is an incredibly, incredibly satisfying thing. Even though I suppose the the, the guitar solo is a bit laboured, I guess I, I do like the end mm. of it. Yeah, it's a it's a near classic. Uh, it's um, as time goes by, that one really grows. Uh, I'd, I'd, li I'd like to see that song played live. I certainly prefer it to Notel Hotel. Uh, oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, which... it's it's another of those. You know, I was talking about those dodgy Eric Stewart lyric premises. You know, where yeah, he, he, right. he, he lands on a, on a nifty phrase that he thinks is really cool, and and that will lead to a, a you know a nice interesting song. It's not Eric. It's not. Oh, it's not bad. It, it, you know, it's not really prime ten cc, but it's it, it's all right. It, uh, I quite like it. It's a bit like Alan Parsons' project, actually. This track. I thought you were going to say Alan Partridge. <laughs> what with his voice saying, "Is there anything wrong? Is <laughs> yes. there anything wrong?" Well, there certainly is, Eric. <laughs> written about the travel tavern though is it? it's written about um, <laughs> some other establishment yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right can't, can't get too het up one way or the other about it really no that's right there, there is something that uh, i don't know a hint of graham's involvement and I'm, i know i'm probably overthinking this um mm -hmm. well undoubtedly i'm just kind of <laughs> i'm kind of um what's the word i'm assigning roles in my head during the okay. writing process but there's a a lovely passing chord from the verse to the chorus just a single chord that oh, kind of just okay. twists it in, in you know a, a little bit to the right um yeah for for the chorus to come in and that that feels like a trick that, that graham would have thrown in 
I think you're probably right. Yes, I'll have to re-listen to that. Yeah, definitely. Like, we'll, we'll listen like to it in thinking. a second. Uh, yeah, and, and and again, that's something that, that makes me like the song a little bit more than I do, but it, it's it's one of my least <laughs> favourites, I'm afraid. Sorry. And I wondered what was going on Are you with me that Listen With Your Eyes, uh, which was a, a Graham and Eric uh, joint uh, composition, rem- it reminds me of Dennis Wilson's Pacific Ocean Blue. We live on the edge of body of a big fan of the song. I think it drags a bit. Probably one of the weaker songs that Eric and, and uh, Graham wrote for this album. I agree. I, I think the narrator seems to be criticizing everything that's going on around him. Again, this gets back to what I said earlier about Eric being a bit angry. Yeah, I don't like sitar. He, it doesn't yeah, touch guitar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know which, what he's saying there. Yeah, I think that's an uneducated observation, too. I mean, it's just... You know, the, the the narrator seems to be just observing things, but not making any effort to, to change them or to adjust them. I mean, I, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, the song's got everything you'd expect it to have. It has, you know, the different musical styles that goes into different tempos here and there. Yeah, a bit of rockabilly, a, a, a bit of uh, R&B. I get up on top, down on Mr. Blue. I'm talking about the... You know, the track Pacific Ocean Blue, you know, that kind of lazy blues? Yeah, it's kind of that lazy blues. And, and I think, yeah, in parts of it, it does work like that. But I don't think, uh, I don't think the song completely works. Uh, it's it's not, it's probably, to me, one that I would probably skip over if I was listening to the CD. I love it. I don't like the lyric, but uh, as a song, I love it. Would Would you like the song if it had a, a better lyric? Would you like the song, or would mm. you still for, struggle with it? I don't know. For me, it's just, it's just an, another kind of R and B song of Eric's about guitars. Um, so, yeah. So it, it it feels like one of those kind of knockoff songs of Eric's. I can't. I, I thought you would say that. I, I guess really? you don't like Desperate Dan, do you, Sean? And I just ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a pop at me before about that. Yeah, Desperate Dan, which I really do like. <laughs> yes, I know. So it, it's a definite horses for courses thing, isn't it? Was that on the? That's on the UK album, completely. Yes, it, yes, one. it is. Well, that doesn't say a lot for me because I can't remember that one at all. Lifts the um, feel the benefit chords and solo, and that's not the only. Okay. That's not the only song from the eighties that that steals from feel the benefit either, is it? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll we know a song about that. We, don't we? we we'll do. Talk. We do. <laughs> Sean, Sean, I want to add something. You know, um, I respect that you're not a big fan of the uh, 
you know, Mark II and later 10CC stuff. I respect that because I, I think on a certain level, I agree with you. It's not as interesting as, say, the first four albums, maybe five or six albums. Yeah, but that, that goes without saying, in fairness. Yeah, to be honest. absolutely. But uh, the thing that I, I notice about 10CC more than anything after, say, uh, you know, Deceptive Bands or even Bloody Tourists is that, that they became more of a pop band more so than, you know, band that was, you know, doing things like I'm Mandy, Fly Me, yes. or, you know, they, they, they were more of a pop band. And, you know, I, I think you have to take what they were doing more at that level and, and kind of open your ear to them being a pop band as opposed to expecting, you know, something as, you know, crazy as, say, Iceberg or... Uh, I know, no, Panny, Panny, I'm with you completely, but I'm also a massive, massive, massive pop fan. Um, yeah. But I much prefer what Human League, Heaven 17, Trevor Horn and Yazoo were doing in the charts in 1981, yeah. 1982, to any of this. Yeah. It's just, it's incredibly bland. Could you read between the lines? Would you understand how much I really care? Wish we could run. Nice block harmonies in Runaway. It's a cheap attempt to kind of relive the "I'm Not in Love" uh, vibe. So, absolutely, I I could agree with you more. It, it's it's got a nice backing track with the choral voices that are in the beginning. Oh, you know the background. <laughs> yeah, Think about it. Yeah, but in you a know, in a plastic I mean, way, not in a way that yeah. was laboured over for three weeks in some Stockport studio. <laughs> It's a bit dull. It's a bit redundant. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny because I was thinking of the lyrics. You know, when I listened to it and getting to that line, yeah. I always liked the line. If I wrote them in a letter, could you read between the lines? Yeah. Because I know we, you know, we've all written a letter to a girlfriend or a you know someone that we love, where you're trying to say much more, but then you get the stupid line, "You're a part of me. Let me be a part of you." Oh God, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Give me, give me a fucking break. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, honey, I you, you know, be a part of me so I can be a part of you. I mean, how, how bland is that, Penny? Uh, it's the worst. It's the worst. I mean, <laughs> I, I like the track musically, but, it, you, know, the, you know, in spite of the production being dull and a bit muddied and uninspired, but that lyric, just when I hear it now, it's like, oh, like you said, give me a knife and let me stick it through my chest. You know. <laughs> I think we probably have to accept that you know neither neither Graham nor Eric are great lyricists, other than you know Graham, Graham's early stuff. The, the great lyricist in 10CC was was Kevin Godley. And I don't know what comes first, the music or the words, in the words of mm. one of Graham's old songs, but own songs. But, True, you know, but if, you've got, yeah, if you've got a great lyric to start with, sometimes it can inspire a great melody. You know, if you're kind of working with cliched, cliched lyrics, maybe it's you know much harder to, to lift yourself out and, and come up with something. I, could, really I couldn't agree musical. more. But Eric did, did go through a purple patch, Andrew, of writing really wonderful lyrics. When you, when you look at I'm Mandy Fly Me and I'm Not In Love, they were that was mostly his work, and they're they're brilliant. And, and Sean, I think we know, 
you know, as Eric said, he just sat down and wrote the lyrics out of what, 25, 30 minutes yeah. for a month. They, you know, when something, when something comes out and it's just pure, I don't know if it's inspiration or just, you know, you, it just flows out of you. Yeah. I mean, I've heard songwriters talking about, um, you know, I think Brian Wilson said, God only knows, you know, they had to deal with the idea of using God in the title, but for the most part, the lyrics of that song came out, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, yeah. you know, from what Asher told me one time. Yeah. So I, I think it's all, I don't want to say relative, but I think it's, you know, the frame of mind you're in. I think if, like you say, if you, if you get, you know, we were talking a bit about Eric trying to find a phrase and write a song around it. Uh, you know, if you find something that inspires you, sometimes it, it gets into that tap that just, you know, lets it flow and it just comes out without any thought. It just yeah, comes out. Totally. And, and, and you get the feeling that on these these three albums in the 1980s, that, that exact moment of inspiration never really happened, did it? I agree with that, Andrew. Oh well, we're going to come on. We're going to come podcast. on to something different, aren't we? In a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's good. But, to just agree because I mean, one of the reasons you're doing these podcasts, Sean, is just to give a different point of view, and everybody's got a different point of view. What's the saying? You know, totally. everybody's you know, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one, and uh, <laughs> I respect you guys like some stuff and don't like stuff, and it gives me. The opportunity at least to hear it a different from a different point of view yeah there's no surprise paul that that they didn't have any success in the charts because they're, they're gone they're irrelevant eric talks yes. about it he talks about the even in the time he spent convalescing from his accident the music scene had changed, um, and by the time he came out of that, they 10CC weren't relevant anymore. Yeah, it moves so fast, the business. Even then, it did, and yeah, pe- people move on. It, it, it's harsh, but that's always the way, isn't it? It is. That's maybe the worst time in a career. Now, you know, at this distance, that you know, they or whoever whoever comprises 10CC, as it were, that they're a legacy mm-hmm. band and they look back on all their past probably with fondness. But when you're just clear of the really good bit, that's got to hurt, isn't it? When you're when you're tumbling down the hill, yeah, it must. And must. that happen, happens to everybody. Uh, certainly, all musicians yeah. come off their uh, purple patch. Yeah. So you can, you you, I, I, you know I can forgive them a bit of bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> because you know they weren't having a good time what what can one say no and they were innovators weren't they just what eight years previous no no six years previously i mean that's no time yeah. at all you know they were pushing the boundaries of pop you know i'm not in love yes not to mention you know the, the other innovations consequences and everything um and and suddenly a a, a tiny amount of time later they they are mm. dinosaurs it's it's a yeah. strange world, isn't it? Where time kind of gets stretched. Exactly. It, it feels it looks very compressed now. You look back on it. Yeah. But... For me, it's a, a, a real step up from look here, 
probably the, the last decent 10cc album in, in, in my view, but probably only tickles the 6 out of 10. I was going to give it 6 out of 10, actually, okay. but um, definitely not the last decent 10cc album. Ah. Yeah, I, I'd probably take a little bit higher. I'd say a little more 8 out of 10. I mean, if I okay. look at the seven. If I look at the 17 tracks that make up, you know, the U.S. and U.K. version, mm. plus, you know, the B-side, which we did mention, the, the B-side, uh, You're Coming Home Again. Uh, which we've not mentioned. I, yeah, it's it's on the CD, the, you know, the 17 track Japanese CD. Yeah, uh, probably not I, Probably not worth a mention, to be honest, Paniotis. Well, I, I think, you know, I think overall the album is a step in the right direction for Eric and Graham yeah. and the stuff collaborated on. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's missing, you know, it's, it's missing something. It's it's more, the writing's more pop-orientated, and it's not as much, it's not as quirky as what I'd expect from 10CC if I was really into the first four albums, only those four albums. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different mindset. No, I just think we've got to remember, really, that, you know, they had fallen out. They were really struggling with their relationship. They were getting older. You know, I think most people, as they get old, most song, great songwriters, as they get older, they find it harder and harder to to keep the quality up. Yeah. They made an attempt. It, it, to me, it's it's enjoyable, but um, that's about as far as I'd go with it. Yeah, it's, it's a mild success, isn't it? Yes, apart from commercially. Um mm. I don't know why it did as badly as it did. It didn't even chart in the UK. I don't know, but uh, in America, I, as I said, I think there's. It could have done. I think they could have had some success if it had been marketed better. And I mean, they, as you've touched on a little while ago, Sean, they really had friends at the BBC. Mm. And I remember someone once complaining that it was always 10cc that got chosen as the golden oldies in on radio <laughs> one etc but you know they they did get a lot of a lot of support from the bbc which was enormously powerful yes. so something else went wrong with the, the marketing it must something must have been half-hearted i mean if they could be as half-hearted as you said earlier to to just discard the end four songs on the uk release mm. yeah and replace them in the UK, then, then someone's not giving proper attention to making the best of what they can do. But remember, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And just briefly, Ken Maliphant, when we talked to him, uh, talked about the sort of disconnect between uh, Phonogram UK and Phonogram in the States. To me, it, it, it feels like the American label just simply... Weren't, well, weren't interested in what the UK label would have thought. This was the second album uh, in America on Warner Brothers, so it wasn't even Phonogram. It oh, okay. was Warner. That you know, when they when they got the initial album to release in the US, I mean, that was one of the reasons why you know Andrew Gold was brought into the picture. They didn't feel it was a strong album. They they wanted Andrew uh, to kind of get involved to see what they could come up with. I mean, I think yeah, which Graham, was a wise move, wasn't it? Yeah, but but I think you know you know Graham. I think initially liked the fact that Andrew came into the picture. You know, he kind of you know he, I think he said that they didn't like the idea of having a producer, but they needed somebody to kick them up the ass a little bit to get movie yes and you know the results you know we could argue for days about whether the results are successful or not but i i think what's interesting if it would have been the original 10 cc you know graham and uh eric you know kevin and Lowell, they would have never you know they would have told the record label to shove it up their ass and they would have released the album as it was instead yeah. of trying yeah you know to 
you know, to revamp it for the American American market. Uh, Eric and Graham were obviously in a different situation at that time, and like you said, you know, they were they were uh, falling apart, you know, as mm. uh, collaborators and uh, yeah, and 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 as yeah, yeah, as friends and and yeah, human yeah. beings working together. I think they they reached the end <laughs> of their rope, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. It had run its course, and. You know, you can only get so much blood from a turnip, as they say. Yes. <laughs> yes, and uh, at least we got some blood out of this turnip. And I'm looking forward to next time, Andrew, to hearing you expound on on the virtues of Windows in the Jungle. I can't wait to hear what you say about that one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it too. Fantastic. Thank you, chap. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening